I mean, I don't know. Like, if you can convince me based on the strength of your your beliefs, sure. But like, if the best you've got is like anyone who doesn't have a purity ring is a slut, then I don't know. <laughs> like, it's not really a compelling argument, you know? Like, you're all sluts. Give me a break. She just she, yeah. She should have just turned to John Legend, been like, "You're a slut." <laughs> Hi, I'm Barry Hamaguchi. And I'm Jason Marcos. This is Flop Redeemer, the weekly podcast where we discuss the stories behind our favorite pop flops and why you should give these songs a second chance. Riding high off the success of her debut album and Grammy-nominated single No Air, pop singer Jordan Sparks set out to keep the momentum going with her sophomore effort, 2009's Battlefield. But after a string of lukewarm singles, a canceled tour, and a perennially delayed third album, All indications were that the air had been sucked out of Jordan's career. Today we're talking about her song, Don't Let It Go To Your Head. I like it. I did it. I I made it all the way through that sentence. Was it a single (laughs) sentence? And it was like three sentences. Um, That was very hard. Unexpectedly hard. Sorry, moving stuff around. Unexpectedly hard for a sentence that I wrote myself not uh, five minutes ago. Um, (laughs) Good morning. Good morning. It's kind of rain. It, it's actually raining over here. Yeah. You know, as they say, um, April flowers bring me showers. Oh, yeah. Not in California, though. No. <laughs> <laughs> they don't say that here. <laughs> I, don't, I think they only say that in my garage. Um, okay. So we're we're talking about another American Idol alum, alumna. Yeah. We've only talked about yeah. the, the ladies. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, yeah. Because we don't give a sh- No. I, someone someone asked us yesterday... Like, do you ever talk about men? <laughs> and I was like, yeah, we can. We just don't. I mean, we have. We have, yeah. we, we specifically did a, a, a couple of men in, yeah. in the man show. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, by far, our poorest performing episodes. Yeah. So, like, you know what? No one wants to hear about the men is what you're telling us. Yeah. Except just Josh, Gro- Josh Groban did fine. We did, yeah, I mean, because you know what, Barry, you're the only one who hates him. He was okay. no Josh Groban. Uh, Josh Groban was lagging behind in our metrics for a while. I think what happened actually was that so my my, my friend and coworker Taylor, she runs a a podcast called Why Not. It's a pop culture and like uh, politics commentary podcast. They do like show recaps they do commentary on stuff it's 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 a lot it's a lot to listen to i i enjoy listening to my work day because since we've been separated by the pandemic i don't get to go to her desk and like talk to her and chat chit chat so i was telling her i was like oh i like listening to your podcast because it's like um it's like being able to feel like i'm near her desk having a conversation with her but anyway um there was a week that she like name dropped us so her podcast is called why not i'm name dropping name dropping that now if you're Check it out. It's 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 a wild ride. She name dropped our podcast, and and I feel like in the week that that happened, because I heard her say it, I was like, oh, we got a flurry of people listening, and and disproportionately, the people that came from that week were listening to the Josh Groban podcast. <laughs> at which point, Josh Groban's episode like lifted Spiked. up into like did the we, mid the mid to did, high echelon. Did we raise him up? We did. Well, more specifically, my coworker Taylor did. 
I think I believe I, that's that's the only correlation I could come up with because he was like at like some of our episodes get like two thirds of the plays that um, yeah like Rabel oh he's down at like less than half of what the others get sorry yeah sad sorry sorry to that man um, <laughs> but yeah Josh Groban got lifted from you know C tier not even B tier he got lifted from C tier to like A tier episode in that in that single week. Um, so welcome Josh Groban fans. Um, I, I, I share nothing with you. Um, <laughs> anyway, um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, we don't really talk about the men, but you know, in looking at American Idol, I mean, I can think of fewer men that I care about or, or care about less oh, than some I mean, of these American Idol winners. I have a soft spot for a lot of American Idol winners. Um, when... American Idol debuted. Were we friends when American Idol debuted? I feel like that's right around the time when we became friends was like season one of American Idol. Yeah, I think it Well, you know what? Because you guys, so you, the group of friends that we all have now, I kind of came in, about, you know, a year, a couple years after. Yeah, well, you invited me. So I'm like Dracula. You invited me in and I've never left. And, um, then, you, and then you just took over. <laughs> you became the, the Katie Heron to my Regina George. <laughs> With my Lady Blacksmith Mombasa <laughs> uh, concert, something you know, somewhere. Um, but um, I think it was like the second season that we really, because because you guys had watched the first season together as a group of friends. I think, okay, you know, and then yeah. the second season, I was there. Two thousand three became sort of our that became sort of our third. Was it Thursday night or something? It became like our Tuesday night thing. Yeah, um, yeah, because yeah. we would watch the live together. performance shows of American Idol, get together, have dinner, have dinner. Yeah, um, yeah, and I, in in the fervor for American Idol in those early seasons was just so huge. Yeah, um, I think season one with Kelly Clarkson was like the surprise runaway hit. By the time they go into season two, they're fully expecting this to be like the number one show in the country, and that's when we get Clay Aiken and Ruben Studdard. You know, I think we all had just such a strong emotional connection to them. Right. Mm-hmm. I don't think that I ever, a while, you, there's a long show. Like you spend a lot of time with these people. Yeah. And I don't, cause I don't think that I actually have any genuine affection for their music. It's all like artificial or inflated by that experience of spending the entirety of like the fall in your living room with these people. Right. Yeah. But over time, the the sparkle the shine kind of wears away for this show and so you know the last there's a there's a distinct point where i one stop caring about who won american idol Uh and then there's a point where i completely stop watching american idol yeah and i feel like you hit that point before me yeah because i was kind of done I remember, so season, so Jordan Sparks was season six, and then you got David Cook was the winner of season seven. I vaguely remember him. I also remember Chris Allen okay. from season eight. Because was mm-hmm. that the year, was Chris Allen the year? Um, uh, Adam Lambert. Amber, La- Adam Lambert. A- Amber. <laughs> Amber. Amber Ladder. <laughs> Adam Adam Lambert. And I think that was the last year, because I'm looking at Lee DeWise, and I'm like, mm, I remember his face. But I think, oh, maybe that was when I stopped caring. Mm-hmm. But Scotty McCreary, definitely no idea. Philip Phillips, I just remember the jokes around his name. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And then um, after that, like I see Candace Glover season 12. I don't remember anything from season 12 except for Mariah and Nicki Minaj's, Minaj's feud. 
Oh, gosh, I forgot that that was the subplot of that season. Okay. Yeah, that's the only thing I remember from that. And poor Candace Glover has really not done anything since. But yeah. you look at all these names and I'm like, who are these people? <laughs> Caleb Johnson? Trent Harmon? I guess I've heard the name Maddie Pope, but I didn't know where she came from. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And that she was like Sia's dancer. <laughs> What's her name? Well, I think that um, Maddie Pope... That is that the first season? That's the first season of like the re the quote unquote reboot oh, okay. era, right? I think mm-hmm. Trent Harmon is the last winner of the Fox the Fox airing of American oh, Idol. Okay. Like American Idol was dying a very, very slow death, right? Like they yeah. just kept it going. We didn't know who these people were. The show finally got taken off the air. It seemingly was usurped by the voice. Like suddenly, like yeah. the voice really got the balance of entertainment factor and not making it so much about the contestants like uh, you know kind of to the voice's credit and to its detriment the voice is not really set up to catapult the contestants into stardom no it's just good tv it's good tv it gives all of these artists a platform that they wouldn't otherwise have but in no way is it promising them you're going to be the biggest thing in music no, because I have no idea who's on that show, yeah. like who's come out of that show. It's really just like, be on TV mm-hmm. as long as you can. Get as many social media followers as you can right now. Because once we cut you loose, you're on your own. And, yeah. you know, I, I don't know... I don't know what I don't, I don't know what that must be like because I imagine that on the one hand you feel like well this sucks. Like I just dedicated however many months of my life to being on national television. But on the other hand, you could also be like, I had no platform before, you know, I, I might be able to get like a county fair gig in my home state, you know, but maybe those opportunities have doubled for you now or tripled for you now. Maybe it's enough for you to make a living off of, but not to be a star. Yeah. And I think what's interesting about that is if you look, so the, <clears throat> I'm just going to, it's non-scientific evidence, but, <laughs> but if you look at like, say the earlier winners of the, of American Idol seasons, you have Kelly Clarkson, Ruben Suttered obviously didn't, you know, there there were other reasons, you know, in my opinion, why that didn't do anything. You have Fantasia, Carrie Underwood, Taylor Hicks to some extent, and then Jordan Sparks. Um, to, in, my, in my just recollection, that was when social media was sort of in its infancy. Like you didn't have like an Instagram, you didn't have, you, you know, people, people were on Twitter at some point, but like it wasn't. To, to amass a following in that way, right? It was just kind of mm-hmm. tweeting into the void. Or, you know, it was like it was sort of an in-group of people that were on there. So you have the 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 arguably the most, some of the most successful American Idol winners came of age in a time where they were really reliant on the label and like their management mm-hmm. deal to promote them because they they didn't go in with the idea, like you're saying with the voice now that it's like, you use this opportunity to build your following so that when you're cut loose, you, you can sort of self-sustain, right? Mm -hmm. They didn't have that. And I think that's what's, I think that's interesting to look back at all these winners and be like, okay, well, as social media becomes a thing, as, you know, theoretically these, you know, more recent American idol winners have the opportunity to, to do just that. They don't, or, Maybe they have, but it hasn't really their their success is less monolithic in a way that like, you know, b- maybe it's more fragmented. Yeah. So so like they might have their core group of fans, but I have no idea who they are because you don't have like the label pushing them or whatever. Yeah. And I feel like the 
that monolithic idea of stardom, the idea of like Kelly Clarkson being like a singular talent, getting a number one single, like the day after she wins American Idol, like those days are kind of gone. Yeah. I feel like the, the songs that we hear now, well, there's so much music coming out now because of digital and streaming that every now and again, there'll be more of like a viral, a viral hit over something that feels calculated. Like, I feel like we we hit the, we hit these points where a song comes out, people are kind of like, there's like a shock and awe moment. I think about like the little Nas X, the Montero call me by your name song. Like, Mm -hmm. I I mean, don't get me wrong. Like I'm sure there's a, a lot of marketing, um, finesse behind Mm -hmm. the development and release and whatnot of that. But the way that it hit feels uniquely now. Does that make sense? Yeah. 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 It was, it leveraged all of the tools the, the, you know, all of the things, cultural and technological, to seize the moment. Yeah. Right? Like, I don't a, think yeah. that, I don't think that a, an artist like that releasing music like that could have been developed on a show like American Idol. No. And I, you know, it's interesting that you say that because you listen to American Idol, you listen to The Voice even, and you listen to like what's popular, just broadly speaking, or maybe not broadly speaking, maybe I'm in a bubble, but like it's, it's just like the stuff that's like on TV that come out of shows like that are not things that people find popular these days, like in terms of music. Like it's not it's not the music that people are listening to. Like it is certainly sort of like a TV competition show f- genre at this point where it's like sort of ballady. It's got to be middle of the road because it's got to appeal to everybody. And you've still got to show off like your vocal prowess or like whatever – because by and large, like you still need to have a big voice mm-hmm. or something, mm-hmm. you know, in order to win a national singing competition. Um, so, you know, that's that's what I think. Like, you know, you think of someone like Billie Eilish, who has a fantastic voice, but it's not a big voice. Like, in, she doesn't deploy it in that way. And you know, if you've watched her documentary, she's like, she doesn't like belting. Mm-hmm. Like, she hates belting, <laughs> and. I think part of that's a rejection of this idea that like you have to be a belter to sing and like all these people are like just always belting. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And so she kind of, it's kind of her personal rebellion against that. But like arguably the one of the biggest pop stars in the world today and like that music would never have come out of the show. And yet, you know, the expectation is if you win the show, you're going to be a Billie Eilish. And it's like, well, why? (laughs) Like, like, why? Those two things are completely different. I mean, for me, when American Idol first started losing its patina was the year that um, Taylor Hicks won, Mm. if I really think about it. I Mm -hmm. think that was the first season, and that was the season before Jordan Sparks won. That was season five. Mm -hmm. Taylor Hicks, who was like the salt and pepper guy, who was inexplicably um... within the age limit. I think the age limit was 28 and he was like 28 and they had a but hard time be- 40. Yeah. They had a hard time believing that he was within the age limit, but you know, he was, he was just a very uh, pre- prematurely gray man. Um, but also kind of like an oddball character. I, I would yeah. say he had a very interesting way of performing. He had a very interesting voice. I'd say like he might be like the first, first winner that did not have like a spectacular singing voice to me. Well, he had a very specific singing voice, and it was very um, Michael McDonald, mm-hmm. uh, raspy, soulful. 
it wasn't something that necessarily felt even that unique to me. It was, it was, he was a very engaging to watch, very engaging live performer to watch, I think. But yeah, beyond that, I didn't, I think that was the first time that the formula of American Idol kind of betrayed its intentions. Like they had this intention that they were going to be kind of winnowing down this list of talent down to the most marketable, best voiced superstar pop singer that America could generate, right? Yeah, it was like pop star by committee. Yeah. And I don't think that they ever, they necessarily had foreseen up to this point that the system might not actually be making what they thought they were making with like Taylor Hicks besting Catherine McPhee mm-hmm. in that season. But also like the fact that over the course of that season, we lost, they, we lost a lot of people that originally seemed like, Oh, like it's going to be like Ace Young, for example. Mm-hmm. I think a lot of people thought Ace Young might win that season or Chris Daughtry. That was the season that Chris Daughtry oh, yeah. was unexpectedly unexpectedly ousted and i think that was the first indicator that like the show was starting to show what a little bit of wear and tear or that the formula wasn't going to go the way that they thought it was going to go wait diana degarmo is married to ace young yes i think that they met um performing on broadway sorry as you're talking i'm googling and i'm like what (laughs) what is happening this is crazy um I don't think that either of us is particularly interested in Jordan Sparks. I mean, she, she had a couple songs that were catchy, but like, I haven't followed her since and didn't really miss her when she was gone. So oops. Yeah. She falls off the map. Um, we're going to talk about why that happens or why we suspect that happens or why, why I feel that it happens. Cause there isn't a whole lot out there as far as I could tell in terms of why this happens. Her, her second album just, I mean, it's the sophomore slump, right? Yeah. It happens. Anyway, um, so do you want to take us to break? Yeah. You know, as usual, you know, anything that we talk about here can be found on our website and on our socials at Flop Redeemer. (laughs) Floppredeemer.com. Please (laughs) send us emails. We've been getting some emails. Right, yeah. suggestions. We've actually been getting a lot of comments about like, oh, do this person, do that person. Send us an email. Yeah, hit us up on on Twitter or create the paper or on trail. Instagram, you know, so that we can like, you know, add it to our our mailbag and uh, you know sift through the responses. And, right now, our and, mailbag and is like literally like a Ziploc sandwich baggie. It's it's the and even not even that. It's it's one of those uh, you know sustainable recyclable paper sandwich bags that like. <laughs> Because it's that much smaller. It's that cheaper. it's that diaphanous little uh, translucent paper bag that you get a, a sheet of stamps in. <laughs> so please do that. Uh, and when we come back, we'll talk about Jordan Sparks. And we're back. We're back. Okay. Today I'm talking about Jordan Sparks. Today I'm talking about Don't Let It Go To Your Head. It was the third single from her second album, Battlefield, released in 2009. Um, If you don't know who Jordan Sparks is, join the club. But Jordan Jordan Sparks won the sixth season of American Idol in 2007. Um, She is, or perhaps was, the youngest winner of American Idol. She was. Was. Did Scotty McCreary beat her? 
I don't think so. I think she still is the youngest. Okay. Or maybe. I don't know. You know she what? Was... Don't quote me on that. Nobody cares. Okay. I mean, because you have to be like, you have to be 16 when you audition for American Idol. So mm. she was 16 when she auditioned and then she was 17 when she won. I know that Scotty McCreary was also 17 when he won American mm. Idol. He might have been like a few months older than Jordan Sparks at the time of winning. Nonetheless, this is an accolade that Jordan Sparks has, is that she was the youngest winner of American Idol at the age of 17 in 2007. Um, She releases her debut single, This Is My Now, after the, after the American Idol finale. Um, you know, we had talked about Fantasia mm-hmm. and how Fantasia and, was it Diana DeGarmo mm-hmm. singing? Did they sing the same I think they might have sang two different songs. I'm not sure. Yeah. There, there was a there was a time when like the idol finalists were given the same single to sing in the finale, right? And then it changed. And yeah. then it changed because they realized like it's hard to find a single song that two perhaps very different singers could sing. Yeah. And in this particular season of American Idol, they had the additional complication of the idol winning single was part of like a contest. So this was a contest winner that neither of the finalists really had a say in what the song was going to be. Oh, this is my now was the Oh, I remember that now. They had a songwriting competition and yeah, this song yeah. this is my now was a winner. An extra layer of complication is that in this particular season of American Idol, Jordan Sparks was in the finale against um his name just popped out of my head. Blake the oh, beatboxing Lively. No. <laughs> Lewis, Lewis, Lewis. Blake the Lewis. beatboxing. Who, the, who actually could sing. Like it was discovered he could sing a little bit. He could he was yeah. a he was a he was a serviceable singer, yeah, but his yeah. main star talent was like he was a beatboxer. And so they give both of them this like kind of schmaltzy ballad. And it's clear that like Blake Lewis is being set up to lose. Yeah, there's no way. Jordan Sparks is being lifted into the stratosphere. With this single however this is my now is the first idol single not to top the billboard charts <sighs> it topped out at like i think 15 on the billboard hot 100 that's like that's like mariah carey numbers right there yeah um <laughs> so um she goes on the idol tour after winning that was the thing that people did back then idol was yeah. such a big thing that all of the idol contestants would go on this nationwide tour um, Do you know who probably saw her then? Was our friend Chris, friend and listener to the podcast. Wait, really, he, Chris? He, I think, I feel like he, he used to go to these. He oh. used to really like them. We'll have to get some intel on like what the Idol American Idol winners tour was like because it, it truly, I had, I never had any interest, even if I liked the winner, of going to this hodgepodge, no, whatever tour of these random 10 people just like jingle ball for American Idol <laughs> cavorting on a stage singing whatever cover tunes that they wanted to um, <laughs> yeah I don't know although I, I had forgotten actually about these earlier seasons of American Idol that they were challenged with so many weird genres week to week mm-hmm, mm-hmm. These these people were not singing popular songs on television. They were singing like Cole Porter standards and stuff like that. Well, and if we're talking about Jordan Sparks, like the thing that turned for me, turned her for me, like I remember that her show show making turn on the show was doing I Who Have Nothing. So mm-hmm. this is a song with I, comma, who have nothing. Like who writes a title like that? Made famous by 
Tom Jones and Shirley Bassey. Yeah. Well, because like, it was that was British Week. They had to yeah, do a but, British song. Well, yeah, but it's just like what? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, and that's fantastic where Jordan, song. I mean, Jordan Sparks over over her run um, with American Idol. Those were some of her best moments. Like, yeah, is that like is that what a torch song is? It's like. She yeah. did like these ba- these these kind of these sad, sad, wistful, doe-eyed ballads. So she did like "I Who Have Nothing." Mm-hmm. Um, she did "Woman in Love" by Barbara Streisand, and those I feel like those are the moments where you start to see what her potential is. Mm-hmm. And I think it's also interesting because going into like what type of music Jordan Sparks will eventually make. In the grand finale of American Idol season six, they did this thing where each finalist was performing three different songs. One was the judge's choice. One was a producer's choice. And then the third was the contestant's choice. So it gives you an idea of like, okay, this is who the the judges think she is. This is Mm -hmm. who she herself thinks she is. And this is what the producers of the show thinks she is. And I think that that kind of informs like beyond a cover artist, who is Jordan Sparks going to be, right? Uh Um, in the finale, Simon Cowell gives her Wishing on a Star by Rose Royce. The, okay. And I okay. think that that is actually most in line with Jordan Sparks' personality, with her voice. I think mm-hmm. that song really fit her. Um, the producers chose um, She Works Hard for the Money by Donna Summer for her. <laughs> which is an interesting take given... For a 17-year-old. For like... a 17-year-old... <laughs> <laughs> for a 17 okay for a seven uh, we'll talk about this more later but for a 17 year old devout christian who can't dance to be singing donna summers she works hard for the money which to me is a song that you gotta kind of move to yeah. and you're also singing about well wait donna summer clarified this she wasn't singing was she singing about a hooker i mean donna summer you know converted to christianity later and was like disavowed all of this stuff. did she deny because I, I feel like there was a there was a Arguably, it was a double. She, it was a double entendre. I think. Yeah. Right. Arguably, she was just singing about like working women. Yeah. Right. It's it's uh, euphemistic. Yeah. yeah. Um. And then Jordan Sparks herself, she chooses to reprise "I Who Have Nothing," mm-hmm. which is a, a, an interesting take on like what kind of music this seventeen-year-old girl feels most at home singing. <laughs> well, you know, and if she, you know, since she grew up in a certain kind of household. I mean, I think I can kind of relate to that in that songs like that are sort of non-threatening mm. as opposed to like whatever was current for yeah. some, you know, if you're conservative, like it's like those are the good old like, those days. Are okay. Those yeah. are okay, right? Like we're not singing the thing. It's chaste. Not singing euphemistically about um hookers. Uh, no. sex workers, <laughs> sex workers. <laughs> based on those choices at the finale right there's still a question mark about like how do you how do you take this 17 year old out of a cover song competition basically yeah and then figure out like what kind of music is she going to make that is going to appeal to audiences um and then how do you take something like a throwback ballad like i who have nothing to your point something that feels safe Mm -hmm. but also something that like is it's dramatic and impressive dramatic but and and this is where i struggle with jordan sparks as a person like i'm like what how do i describe her because she's doe-eyed her voice has like a fragility to it 
like she's a belter, but she's not like a full bodied Beyonce belter. It's not the kind of like, you know, who run the world call to action, fierce kind of shouting yell voice. It's like a scared, quivering, screaming. She's not coming, singing from her diaphragm. She's like screaming in in anguish. Yeah. Almost. I feel like she. Not assertion. I don't know if you would agree with this, but I feel like she falls into that category of people like big voiced can sing kind of person who also has a kind of a thin voice. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. There's not a lot of heft there behind her voice for whatever reason. Kind of like, kind, yeah, which is interesting. Kind of like a Stephanie Mills. I don't know if you, you know. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Um, right? Like, but, but like, lo- which isn't to take, these aren't bad qualities. It's just, it's just a different quality of voice. Like yeah. Like the timber is And I think yeah. it informs what kind of songs you can sing and audiences will believe you. you know? Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. Um, returning to the biography of Miss Jordan Sparks. <laughs> so off of her debut album, which comes out like later that year. So she wins American Idol in May, 2007. By November, 2007, her debut album is recorded, mastered, released. It's in stores. Her debut album, Jordan Sparks. The debut single is the song Tattoo. She follows that, that up with the number three billboard hit, No Air, featuring Chris Brown. It's a good song. It's a I good mean, song. It should be said, yeah. And she follows it up with the uh, the third single, One Step at a Time, which I think that those that set of three songs, they all give a really solid picture of like exactly what I expected from Jordan Sparks. It is that thing where she's making love songs with Chris Brown, but they're the it's it's a decidedly safe song. It feels yeah. safe, it sounds safe, lyrically it's very safe. You know, it doesn't go anywhere too dangerous for a young artist like Jordan Sparks. And also, I mean, at the time, a young artist like Chris Brown, like Chris Brown was like, I think 16 or 17 at the time too. And this was before Chris Brown really got his reputation as like a bad boy. Yeah. Yeah. I think he was like, he was a bad boy. We didn't know that he was really a bad person. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) If you get my drift. Yeah. And so coming off of that, She's going on tour with um, Alicia Keys. In 2008, she actually, she ruptures a vocal cord. She talks about this time of the whirlwind of winning American Idol, going into her debut album, and then going out on tour of, what's the term that she coins? She has this YouTube channel where you can watch a lot of her old videos. She calls it terif, what's a mixture of terrifying and exciting? Terrifying? Extra. I was like terraforming but that's different yeah so ter- ter- she mixes the word terrifying and exciting to form one word i think it's terror terraciting terraciting exciting anyway it's stupid but <laughs> she describes this she describes this period of time in that way because you know she had gone from someone that maybe you sing one song a night to all of a sudden doing a full set, doing a full set on a national tour while simultaneously trying to record your debut album. Because all this is happening in that same summer. She's on a national tour, on a bus, driving across the country, selecting songs, co-writing songs, doing all of that, recording songs, and then getting her album mastered and into the can by November of 2007, a a short, like, what is that? Five months, four months later. Uh Uh-huh. So 
Not surprisingly, in 2008, she she ruptures her vocal cord before going on tour with Alicia Keys. She has to take some time off before she resumes singing and then um, go into production on her second album, which is the album Battlefield, which contains this song, Don't Let It Go To Your Head. So she goes into this second album um, she's working with some of the same people, some new people. She starts working with people like Ryan Tedder from Run Republic. Um, she manages to make like the one Ryan Tedder song that I actually like, which is the lead single Battlefield. I remember it. Yeah, yeah it's a good it's song. It's not a bad I, song. I feel like it's like the it's like the best version of a Ryan Tedder song. I, I, I don't think I've hidden my disdain for like a lot of other Ryan Tedder songs like um, Beyonce's Halo or Already Gone by Kelly Clarkson. Or any uh, any actual One Republic song, like I just don't like I don't like that sound of his music. It's kind of whiny. I mean, whining all the way to the bank. Yeah, exactly. Why whining all the way into um, Charlie Puth's DMs? He, he I think <laughs> he's he com- so weird. He comments on all of Charlie Puth's Instagram posts. They're very thirsty too. It's very strange. Yeah. Um. Always joking about being right outside uh, Charlie Puth's house. Yeah. Or cheering him, like taking his shirt off and stuff. Yeah, it's yeah, weird. yeah, yeah. Anyway, <laughs> she releases the song "Battlefield," which is not necessarily like a runaway hit. I think it, I think it did reach top ten in the United States, um, and it's a good song. She follows that up with the song "SOS," uh, mm-hmm. which I do not actually believe even charts in the United States, and then follows that up with the third single, uh, "Don't Let It Go to Your Head." which also does not chart. But Don't Let It Go To Your Head is like the song that I really love, in part because Don't Let It Go To Your Head is actually a cover song. There was a version done by a Canadian rock artist, Fifi Dobson, several years earlier. Yeah, like five years earlier. Yeah, it was a good song for Fifi Dobson. It's a good song for Jordan Sparks, I think. But by the time that this song comes out, like the the fervor for Jordan Sparks has like disappeared. Yeah. And in the... In the midst of all of this, she is trying to transition from being someone who's an opener, right? She had opened for Alicia Keys. She was also uh, supporting the Jonas Brothers on a tour for this album cycle. Later, she was on Britney Spears, opening for Britney Spears on the circus tour. But in this year, she sets out on her own to do the Battlefield tour. I think it's something like 30-something tour dates in the United States. And... Reportedly, at some venues, she was selling like ten percent of the of the house. You know, so, some of the venues it looked like she was doing really well. She was she was selling out certain venues, but by and large, she couldn't run her own headlining nationwide tour. Yeah. And so this tour quietly just disappears. Oh, I mean, if we talk about the song "Don't Let It Go to Your Head," like listening to it. I know you mentioned Fifi Dobson and Fifi Dobson was sort of an also ran from before, right? Yeah. Like her career didn't really take off. She was sort of part of that pop punk era, a girl, uh, what do you call female pop punk mm-hmm. artist from Canada before also yeah. black artist. And it's funny. You listen to Jordan Sparks version of this song and it's so toothless. Like uh, there's so We were talking before we started that you used to sing this because I was like, I know this song. Yeah. And I was, but you were telling me that like Fifi Dobson didn't actually release it as a single. It's just because our friend worked for a, like a a, a entertainment company and 
they were he, responsible for he, promoting. Yeah, he had access. He had access to all this. Music. I mean, yeah. I think that the song, the, the song "Don't Let It Go to Your Head," I think it may have been released by Fifi Dobson as a single, but the, it didn't do well. And then the album never. I mean, the album now is out because of digital streaming stuff, but at the time, the album release was canceled for her second yeah. album. Well, it's funny because. Fifi Dobson, even if the song wasn't successful, for the kind of music it is, it's kind of an it's kind of an angry song. Like it's just, you're supposed to be snarl. She's supposed to sing it with a kind of a snarl, mm-hmm. like just because I think of you in bed, don't let it go to your head. Like you know, it, it's it's kind of like it's an after the fact sort of song. Like we're done just because I think of you. Don't let it go to your head. And there's some truly cringy lyrics in here, like. <laughs> I wrote your name. It's in my brain. I wrote it down in crimson red or something. It's like, what? What? Well, but, okay. but, okay. but Fifi Dobson sells it when okay. she sings it. Like, you know, cause she, she's got that punky sort of snarl to her voice. When Jordan Sparks does it, all I hear is cringe. And it's <laughs> okay. because I think it's a combination of that sort of technical quality of her voice that we were talking about it's mm-hmm. a little bit thinner it's the doe-eyedness it's like she, she's still approaching it like with a smile a you can hear bit. the doe eyes in her vocals exactly. yeah she's like don't let it go to your head yeah. and you're like no girl like yeah. don't let I it mean, go to your head <laughs> i mean i think that like lyrically it's interesting that you say that because yeah like fifi dobson i think she would i think fifi dobson was fully like 16 17 mm-hmm. writing these songs mm-hmm. herself recording these her own songs and so i think when you do hear fifi dobson's version it has a certain level of intention and authenticity that you just feel come through in the recording because Mm -hmm. it is her song they are her words that she's singing so jordan sparks yes cover version um from someone not necessarily known for their edge yeah Jordan yeah. Sparks is perhaps the anti-edge in that sense. I mean, I never thought about it that way because I guess I look at Don't Let It Go To Your Head as a song that is simultaneously very angry and very, very sad. And so where Jordan Sparks' strength is, is being very wistful mm. about... It's like you can take an angry sentiment... As, as I, it's like you can take a sentiment that's like simultaneously angry and sad and you can choose to like slant it one way or the other. And it kind of changes changes the meaning of it a little bit or it changes your impression of what the singer is actually experiencing, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like are you are you expressing sadness and in denial about your anger or are you expressing your anger and in denial about your sadness? I think that's where the two versions kind of contrast each other. Fifi Dobson is the person that's like outwardly expressing anger, but you know that she's really sad inside. Yeah. Yeah. Versus Jordan Sparks, who's expressing more of the sad side of it. Mm -hmm. And you just suspect that maybe behind the scenes, she's going to like punch someone. Yeah, but she doesn't sound angry. Like she doesn't have, it doesn't sound committed. Yeah. Well, this oh, is where I feel like Jordan Sparks' actual personality could have helped out. Like I feel like there's yeah. a there's a lack there that goes beyond yeah. vocal talent, that goes beyond the song itself. It's it's like there is something that you're like, something's missing from here. And I, as I'm saying it. this, you're just talking me out of liking this song. But Well, I mean, <laughs> I, I was just gonna try and get to it. Like, cause I think that's interesting. Fifi Dobson's song version of this song comes out fully what four or five years before Jordan Sparks cover. Mm -hmm. So it's not a current hit. Right. And I have to go back to like the sort of timeline and everything in one, in our Katy Perry episode, you sort of walked us through how Katy Perry 
single-handedly wiped out the female pop punk genre and girl group like that oh, that whole thing and that was part of your ire at her mm-hmm. <laughs> um because like the girl with a guitar thing sort of died fifi dobson sort of represents that but as we just mentioned that was like kind of done in 2004 jordan sparks comes out in 2009 with this song so it's sort of anachronistic it's sort of a song out of time yeah like, right like and and so i know we we're gonna talk about sort of you know, whether she was in sort of a weird gap. But I guess being a fan of the Fifi Dobson song, what attracted you to Jordan Sparks' version? Well, so so that's the thing is like, now that we're talking about this and I'm wondering like, oh, are you talking me out of liking the song? And And I just now was thinking about, would I like this song if the Fifi Dobson version had not existed because th- huh. this is a sonically very different version. You know, it's not, it's not using like, the straightforward rock instrumentation that Fifi Dobson was using, the vocal performance has a different vibe to it. Yeah. As as we've been talking about. And it's interesting because I was like, maybe I wouldn't have liked this if there had never been a Fifi Dobson version. I mean, so are we redeeming Fifi Dobson today? (laughs) No, because there's not that much to talk about with Fifi Dobson. Really, I think Jordan Sparks (laughs) is much more, more fascinating to think about because at the end of the day, at the end of the day, when I think about Battlefield, when I think about Don't Let It Go to Your Head, I think these were two serviceable songs. I think SOS mm-hmm. is actually like a very, very I remember really, really disliking SOS because it was Jordan Sparks' first attempt at kind of a dancey song. And yeah. it takes this it takes a sample from Let the Music Play, but it ruins it. <laughs> yeah, it's like not a good sample. It takes a great song samples it and then uses it in a song that is unpleasant (laughs) unpleasant and doesn't like suit who i think jordan sparks is at this point in time anyway yeah it takes a while it took a while for me to listen to that song and think like okay like i I could see where they're going with this song but it is uh, to me subjectively speaking like so grating on the the ears i agree all of these songs i think are in one way or another de- a departure from what Jordan Sparks had been doing with songs like No Air or Tattoo or One Step at a Time. I think that there's a distinct break and an attempt to do something different and new. I think in no small part because going from age 17 to 19, things are changing with you. Mm-hmm. From a marketing perspective, her label is probably thinking like, we need to, we need to mature you as an yeah. artist. How can we do that? Are we going to try to get you to sing these songs with more aggressive lyrics or that are more less uh, like songs that are less, wi- less wistful? Yeah. Less of an ingenue, more of a woman, like, exactly. a, like you know, coming into her own. Exactly. Oh, definitely. I feel like that's like a trope, like a woman yeah. coming into her own. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Yeah. And so we're going to give you these songs that challenge you to employ your voice in a way that just doesn't service that teen girl emotional yeah just ballad. where you're just like very in love in like a i wrote in my diary about this kind of way exactly less dear right. diary more i'm coming to your house to slash your tires <laughs> but and, and 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 that begs the point of like can jordan sparks even do that yeah. well we follow her on that journey i think to your point about this song don't let it go to your head there is a seeming disconnect between her vocal performance style her perso- her persona uh-huh. That doesn't line up, yeah. right? It doesn't, yeah. it, something in the milk ain't clean here. <laughs> and, you know, I one interesting tidbit that I found out, Jordan Sparks 
earlier this year or in the middle of last year, she had been doing Instagram lives where she was playing a bunch of unreleased music for her fans on, on Instagram live. One of the songs that she played, she played a, rec- a demo recording of herself doing the song Sky- Skyscraper which Demi Lovato released in 2000, um, 2011. Which I like. Yeah, Demi Lovato releases the song Skyscraper in 2011 as part of her album Unbroken. It's a pretty big hit for Demi Lovato. I think because it kind of dovetailed into Demi Lovato's addiction and rehab story that she had just come forward with, right? Yeah. That we were now starting to see like Demi Lovato as someone that had this mixture of tenderness, but who was also a fighter, you know... And yeah. that song fighting, fighting to survive basically. And, yeah. yeah. And so this song skyscraper kind of became emblematic of that point in her life and that point in her career. And it's a great song for her. I think in, you know, Jordan Sparks recorded this, a demo of this song in 2009 for the album battlefield, but it was not mm-hmm. selected for the album. I just thought it was interesting because I think that like lyrically, thematically, musically, a song like skyscraper fits a lot more with Jordan Sparks in 2009, then a song yeah. like Battlefield or SOS. Well, you know, it, it, yeah, it would have been more pop too. I think, I feel like, yeah, her, her, she's kind of, it's like, it's like she's, she's ostensibly pop, but also R&B light. Mm-hmm. Right. Like, cause she doesn't lean as hard into R&B. I think as like, if you're talking about wishing on a star, uh, you know, she works hard for the money. I mean, those are pop songs that, you know, going back to your earlier uh, comment about like what the producers and what, you know, Simon Cowell had chosen for her and even, yeah. I mean, I'm just, I'm just thinking like it would have been more poppy and this kind of becomes middle of the road, like neither pop really, not neither fully committing to full pop and not really committing to R&B either. Mm -hmm. Also, we've talked before about how there was a sea change happening for pop music in those mid-2000s going into the late 2000s. Um, We've talked about several mid-aughts R&B adult contemporary friendly mid-tempo ballads. You know, starting with Beyonce's Irreplaceable, stuff that's all very neo-tinged or neo-inspired. Yeah. Um, you know, Irreplaceable, Hate That I Love You by Rihanna. Uh-huh. Um, even uh, when we were talking about Tony Braxton and I was talking about the song So Yesterday. Yeah, very Very similar. that. It was very like, here's an, here's an R&B singer, but you don't have to worry because this ballad is so mid-tempo and so pleasant to the ears that adult contemporary radio will embrace it. Yeah. It is that thing. And I think that that was uniquely happening in the mid-aughts and it starts to disappear. R&B music R&B musicians are largely opting to they're opting to do more like pure sorry they R- kind of go between the two two paths right R&B like, artists are starting to either want to do pure R&B music mm-hmm. I'm looking at stuff that like Maya started releasing in 2007 yeah, or Sierra yeah, yeah. started releasing after 2007 um or they're starting to do the Euro dance stuff that we've talked yeah, about yeah, in yeah. great detail about all the David Guetta songs that were coming out Calvin Harris, all of those things were starting to bubble up. You know, Rihanna starts to embrace. I mean, Rihanna is the prime example of someone that was doing a neo ballad, mid tempo ballad, and then started doing David Guetta, Calvin Harris, like dance songs. And we've gone through a series of artists that were impacted by this shift. Maya 
right? I think when we talked about Tony Braxton, a lot of them had troubles around this time between 2007 and 2009, because you do look at 2007 and you look at a lot of the top songs of like No Air Uh for Jordan Sparks, or you think of songs like Bleeding Love, Leona Lewis, but then you get into 2009, 2010, and that's when you are getting like um, Rihanna, S&M, you're getting a lot of Lady Gaga, you're getting more dance stuff. Yeah. And... I think that this was going to be a uniquely difficult transition for someone like Jordan Sparks, who I would characterize as hashtag not a dancer. And not a mover. Not a mover, not a dancer. I think that we've talked before about, okay, when we talked about Tina Turner, for example, mm-hmm. I characterized Tina Turner as not a dancer, but a mover. She is someone that you can feel the authenticity of her movements or how she's feeling her music through her movement, even if it is not a choreographed dance per se. Yeah. Yeah. Or a choreographed dance in the sense that we think of choreography. It's not, it's not like, yeah, it's not like. It's not a Jennifer yeah, Lopez dance break. It's yeah. not Beyonce. It's not a Beyonce dance number. It's a uniquely Tina Turner kind of rock. It's a rock, yeah. rock and roll choreographed dance over like R&B hip hop. And I was thinking a lot about like Mariah Carey, for example, in the mid nineties, convincing us through some of her, like, I I was thinking about the video for honey. Oh yeah. That up to that point, I I never, I never would have, um, how do I say this? I guess there, there was a longstanding understanding that Mariah Carey was not a dancer. Uh huh. That she was, she was more comfortable standing in a microphone singing and that worked very well for her doing a lot of her ballads even up tempo stuff she just moved her arm you yeah. know and and that was fine because yeah. her voice did all the movement but when she started doing more like r&b like mainstream r&b stuff in the late 90s and that honey video came out i was like oh this is what mariah carey looks like dancing and this is the lengths that they go to in a music video to disguise the fact that she's not a super comfortable dancer yeah because they they really when I watched the honey video, I was like, oh, they did a really good job of just doing these really up close shots of her, like kind of moving her upper body and then cutting to like a wide shot of her doing a single dance move with her dancers. Yeah. yeah. And then almost entirely focusing on the rest of her dancers. Yeah. 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 Right. Like you, it gives you, you, you just kind of mentally connect the dots to think like, oh yeah, Mariah Carey did this whole dance, but she didn't. She moved her upper body a little bit. They cut to one wide where she maybe swings her arm down and then everything else. <laughs> I mean, it just reminds me. I mean, the, the thing that comes to mind most clearly is the um, the heartbreaker video where <laughs> she's, you know, she's sitting with her girlfriends on like the, you know, the, the concession counter mm-hmm. and she like hops off, does a little huh, and then like <laughs> turns around and then turns her back to, you know looks over the shoulder at the camera and then smacks her butt. Yeah. And even that looked like how many times did it take to get this right? Like it just like, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. it's so like not lack, lack, lackadaisical. No, there's, lackadaisical. Uh, there's a magic to the editing process of taking someone who doesn't look comfortable moving mm-hmm. and making them look comfortable moving in the yeah. moment. And having watched like the SOS video for Jordan Sparks, for example, this is the, this is not an art that they mastered with her. Yeah. She looks uncomfortable moving. And I feel like they're actually capturing all of the moments where she looks uncomfortable moving or just like her movements are not like her movements are very small. Yeah. 
And this is something that actually she went she went mini viral last year in 2020 when she released the song um oh god I don't like to dance. No, oh, oh she released a music video for the song Red Sangria. Oh. And it's a dance it's a dancing music video and the internet kind of came for her and they roasted her a little bit for how the the one edit that I saw it 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 recontextualized the whole music video as like a old navy commercial. I'm like, oh, oh, it's so weird. As of last year, like Jordan Sparks is an independent artist. She's releasing music on her own, I think. So she doesn't have the budget for these music videos that maybe she once had. People were pointing out that like when you look at her dancing in this music video, she's got very large visible pit stains in some of the shots. Um, <sighs> At some point, she raises her arms up over her head, and you can see that the seams in the armpits of her outfit have ripped. Oh, no. And just overall, just like the quality of the dancing and then the quality of the editing Mm. do not serve her or this song, (laughs) sadly. (laughs) You know, so that all of that, all of that as a way to say that I think that Jordan Sparks was going to necessarily have a tough time bridging the time between 2007 and 2009 to go from someone that was singing songs like No Air into a a singer that was going to try and adapt to a world that was increasingly having an affection for dance music. Yeah. Yeah. And then that kind of bleeds into she just doesn't have the personality to like pull that off. Exactly. I think earlier I referred to kind of a missing element for Jordan Sparks. And that brings me to the idea of charisma, uniqueness, nerve and talent. And this is something that, you know, is popularized by RuPaul on RuPaul's Drag Race, right? She tells all of the contestants that in order to succeed, you need charisma, uniqueness, nerve and talent. And even though it's a joke, right? Even though it's an acronym, you can do the math, folk listeners at yeah, home. Yeah. Did you know that actually on the Race Chaser podcast with Willem in Alaska, both of them said that in the moment when they were filming the show, neither of them realized that it was an acronym. <laughs> I was like, what? I know. How? And I guess it's common. Those lights they, said, are bright. they said like a lot of people in the moment don't realize that when RuPaul says charisma, uniqueness, nerve, and talent, that it is an acronym for something. Yeah. No, a word that shall not be spoken. Um, <laughs> but I, over time, I've come to realize like this is truly a valuable, um, a valuable thing to assess talent against, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Is that it doesn't just take vocal talent. This is something we've realized time and time again. Uh-huh. And so for me... The obvious lack for Jordan Sparks is charisma. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it just doesn't bleed off the screen in the way that like other people do. And, you know, it's, and, I don't know. It's, it's, you know, it, it look, it happens to a lot of people. Yeah. What I will say, what I will say about Jordan Sparks as uh, my, and my subjective like perception of her having like watched a bunch of, bunch of interviews with her or watched her YouTube videos is that she has an eerily high amount of like poise to her public persona. When you see her in in interviews, when you see her talk, her posture is so straight and her way of talking is so measured and so careful, which is great. I think that she's very good at articulating herself in a very precise manner. However, 
it has the unintended consequence of making her feel very walled off. You know what I'm saying? Like, I think that we're, you know, we have certain stars that let us in that, Mm -hmm. that talk, that speak very candidly. I think you were talking about being scared of Ariana Grande and Rihanna, just their off the cuff personalities, the way that they'll just, Uh they'll just say what's on their mind to someone. Right. And in as much as that's a scary thing, it kind of at least gives you the sense that they're a real person. Yeah. It gives you a sense that you know them. You know, to go back to RuPaul's Drag Race, RuPaul speaks to some of her contestants about like, I don't know who you are. Like, you're not letting me see past this drag persona that you put on. This is something that they said to um, Ben de la Creme on the season mm-hmm. that Ben de la Creme did. Because Ben de la Creme, too poised. too poised, too rehearsed. Everything for Ben de la Creme was kind of a bit, you mm-hmm. know, so... We, they were saying like, we don't know who the person is behind the drag, which is not to say that they wanted her to take off the drag and be her boy self. It was just like, there are certain drag queens that it's an intangible moment when you kind of see through the performance and you feel like, oh, like I'm getting a real experience from this real person yeah, and not just, you know, a set of vocal cords that are extremely skilled. Mm-hmm. What I was doing was I was watching these interviews with Jordan Sparks and particularly in the era where she's doing her post Jason Derulo breakup mm-hmm. to catch everyone up after all of this, Jordan Sparks has a kind of a high profile relationship with the singer Jason Derulo and it gets a lot of publicity for both of them. I feel like the press was all over this relationship and they were together for three years at its pinnacle like jason derulo released a song called marry me and J- uh, and jordan sparks was in the video and so there was all this speculation that like oh they were going to get married and da da da. they did this tour of like interviews they were on the wendy williams show talking about their relationship but later that year they break up and people are like what but like jason derulo just made this song called marry me like what was happening and they both kind of independently go on this media tour to talk about what happened to hear Jason Derulo's side of things. It was basically just that like, you know, the usual, like things didn't work out, that there was a lot of pressure on their relationship and it wasn't good for the relationship to have that type of pressure on it. Like the pressure to get married or the media, all the media eyes that were on them. Jordan Sparks goes on Wendy Williams to talk about her side of things. And for me, it was not a good look for her. She goes on. I don't even know. I mean, she goes on and Wendy Williams is just trying to have like girl talk. Like what happened Mm -hmm. is the stuff that he's saying true. There's also rumors that he cheated on you. Well, like all this, like, you know, Wendy Williams kind of gossipy stuff. And usually I feel like the stars that go on her show to have these kind of candid gossipy conversations, even if they're going to avoid the question, they have kind of a a, a laugh about it or uh-huh. like, you know, they, joke. they know what they're doing. Yeah. They're, they're on the Wendy Williams show. But Jordan Sparks is just, again, stick straight posture, just pageant queen answers to everything about like, did he cheat on you? And she's like, I'm going to choose not to answer that at this time. Like that kind of stuff where it, it, it doesn't seem like she's servicing anything by doing this interview. Right. Yeah, like, why is she doing it? Except, if, I mean, know, you know. one, to show off her weight loss, because at that point she had, like, lost, like, 50 pounds. She was So she was on a weight loss journey that Wendy Williams was very 
um, eager to, you know, congratulate her on. And at this time, she was also promoting the movie Left Behind, starring um, Nicolas Cage and Chad Michael Murray and her. All of this to say that beyond any of the like industry side things that were happening, right? The sea change in music or the lack of American Idol clout or the the lessening of clout that American Idol carried at this point. I think that there were also issues with Jordan Sparks' own like presentation of herself to the world. Uh-huh. You know, starting with this ultra poised persona that she was putting out there, but then also carrying into what what sticks out in my head as the biggest pop cultural moment with Jordan Sparks was that Jordan Sparks um following her American Idol win was somewhat outed as a religious conservative. And I wanted to talk a little bit about how how your personal beliefs, specifically conservative beliefs, have an impact on what your fans or your potential fans think about you or how willing your fans are to continue supporting you once this is all revealed. So just for context, what happens is that either sometime during American Idol or shortly after she wins American Idol, her MySpace profile or photos from her MySpace profile begin circulating in the internet. Um, And in it, there is a photo of her uh, smiling next to a sign that says, stop abortion now. And then she starts getting media write-ups that talk about the fact that like, yeah, in, in the year in the years prior to being on American Idol, she was like a performer at like anti-abortion rallies in her home state of Arizona in like 2006. Mm-hmm. And I remember this causing a little bit of controversy among fans that because I think we kind of expect young pop stars just coming out to be somewhat neutral, like blank slates. Like we almost don't expect them to have outspokenness about these types of things well i would say i don't know that that's a current i mean it's it was sort of like maybe what was expected like Mm -hmm. like industry wise but like i don't know that we you know what i mean like we were we were sort of uh as as the audience we weren't used to them saying what they meant not that we didn't want them to but that was sort of not what their deal was at the time. And I think over time that's become different. And so we're also obviously looking at this with like a 2021 lens. Yeah. But also like, I guess for Jordan Sparks to be revealed at, even at that time as anti-abortion or um, pro, what is it? What is it? They're like the flip side of life, pro-life, but from my perspective, anti-abortion. Yeah. um, It's, you know, we're not going to, get into the the semantics of that but you know for someone that young to be taking a stand on this particular issue even now i don't i mean i don't know do we like do we expect i guess it goes back to the conversation about like do we expect people within the entertainment industry to necessarily be progressive in their beliefs i think mostly and are there consequences to not being progressive i mean probably i mean like it's it's kind of Yes. Because if you look right? at, I like, mean, there's like a list of, I, I, yeah. I think when you look up the, the like BuzzFeed lists or not the BuzzFeed list, but there's lists out there on the internet that are like, you know, the 10 celebrities you didn't know were religious conservatives who are against abortion. And it's like um, Patricia Heaton, Kelsey Grammer, um, uh, Chuck Norris and Jordan Sparks. And it's like, oh, <laughs> 
Yeah, I mean, I get. Yeah, I guess. Right. I think that there's something. There's something. There's a critical association we make with the idea of conservatives in Hollywood or conservatives in entertainment, and we have our go-to's of what we think, what we think that that person is. Right? Because Patricia uh-huh. Heaton, Kelsey Grammer, Chuck Norris, not surprising to me. Well, I think that's the. I think the the difference there is. I think if you grow up in a conservative household, which clearly she did, it's not unexpected that you would have those beliefs as a young person, mm-hmm. right? Like, I mean, I, when I was 15, held up signs that was like, save traditional marriage. <laughs> it's not It's not because I'm like a dyed-in-the-wool conservative, but it's like, that was A, that was like A, how I like, I mean, that was whatever, you know, mm-hmm. no, 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 it was okay. told, but also, but also it was like, well, that's how I wasn't outing myself at 15 as like, you know, because I didn't have any support system for that, yeah. you know, to, to do anything else. So, of course, you just kind of do the thing. And I guess it's that thing, too, where like Jordan Sparks, I mean, this was her MySpace profile. So this is truly uh, the frontier of social media where we were all just figuring out what to put on the Internet. Because well, you expected it was just your friends, right? Like it wasn't necessarily randos looking at it. Yeah, and then you didn't necessarily think that you were going to be winning a national singing competition, televised singing competition, the year following, and not thinking about what that imagery would say about you to the public, right? Like we were used to social media as this thing that's like, well, these are all things that I would say to my friends. These are all images that I would show to my friends. Not these are things that I would say in public or things that about myself yeah. that I would show to the general public. I mean, and I think like, you know, you're 16, 17, like, don't you just kind of assume that, especially then that like, if your whole universe believes what you believe or you believe what your universe, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, I don't know that you would think it was controversial. Mm-hmm. And right? I, Yeah. Like, and I don't think that, or even like, what is your deep seated, what is your deeply held belief about that thing? Yeah. Um, yeah. Like, and I guess it is that thing that, Maybe we just turn a blind eye. Like, it's not like we don't expect 16 and 17 year olds to, to be developing their own belief systems at this age. Like if anything, we kind of want, we want you to be like a high school aged kid that starts to think critically about these types of issues and come to your own conclusions. Like that's what we expect of young adults now. But when it comes to a media personality, I guess we, we still just have like a level of discomfort as the public with uh, yeah i don't know i don't know that that's true anymore <laughs> i feel like we're becoming like this polarized place where i mean obviously we've been polarized for a while but uh having no opinion is pretty con- i think perceived of as pretty awful well i think you can have i think you can have opinions and what am i trying to say i don't know i think that you can have opinions and not be photographing yourself next to a stop abortions now sign. That's true. But if you're like 16. Like, and I think that that's the fine line that young people today have to navigate. Yes. That wasn't the thing before. Yes. You're expected to have opinions. Yes. You're expected to take a stand on things. But when you're reposting an Instagram post to your Instagram stories, you have to think about what, what voice am I amplifying? What is this voice actually saying? And what does this say about me? Because you can support something in a myriad of ways, or you can, or you can have a specific stance on something. Let's just go with abortion because that's what Jordan Sparks has a sign of. Is like you can have a particular stance on abortion, and there are different ways that you can express your stance on it that will have a myriad of a, a myriad of effects beyond what your actual stance is. Right? 
Yeah, and I, I guess yes, I agree. But this is what two thousand six, seven. So, so fifteen years ago at this point, and she was like, a, you know, a teenager at the time, obviously. And we were talking about like what I what I would think is more more interesting, I guess, and more indicative of like her actual because I don't know, you know, just saying that like I get it if you are a child, literally a child in that environment. That is not unusual, yeah. right? And you don't think about it. However, I think you were you were going to talk about um, her appearance on the MTV. Was it? Oh, the, v- the VMAs. VMAs. I mean, yeah. This, 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 these two. But events. this is this is her actually talking as a famous person now, right? Like, oh, yeah, like yeah, yeah. actually. So I mean, I, I can I can go into that. Yeah. Um. So this first event of kind of the revelation of her participation in anti-abortion rallies previously. To me, that gets lumped together with this appearance at the 2008 Video Music MTV Video Music Awards, where she expresses her support for the Jonas Brothers and their wearing of purity rings at the time. Because uh, I, I mean, to me, like the idea of purity rings is like it's it's like Greek to me. But like purity ring is basically like it's kind of like a reversing, not a reverse engagement ring, but it's like it's a promise ring that you're gonna keep yourself pure for your intended partner down the road even if you don't know who they are yes so you so as long as you're wearing your your purity ring you will shall remain pure up until the point in which you get a wedding ring and then you know well it's a public and it's a public it's a public sort of statement or it was i don't know if people still do it but it was like a public statement like like a you know we're talking about culture wars it's like a it's a statement against the the broader culture you know in in some, in some conservative areas that was like, I'm publicly pledging not to have sex mm-hmm. before I'm married. Yeah. So it was a, it was a way of like, you know, prom, like what do you call it? Signaling that. Yeah. Um. So the Jonas brothers at this point in time, I think they were all, te- I think Nick Jonas at this point was like 15, mm-hmm. which would make Joe Jonas like what? 17. Uh-huh, and then like Kevin that. would be like 18. At this point, they were all wearing purity rings during the 2008 VMAs, Russell Brand made a series of jokes. Russell Brand was hosting the VMAs, the VMAs that year, and he made a series of jokes, like off-color jokes, about the Jonas Brothers and their purity rings, kind of implying that they should be using their stardom to like sleep with Taylor Swift. And then later in the show, he does this bit where he's like, oh, look what I have here, and he has like a ring, and he's implying heavily that he has deflowered one of the Jonas Brothers, <laughs> which... <laughs> Is creepy because so creepy. Russell Brand was a old man, and the Jonas Brothers were underaged. Yeah, but not. I, I mean, the whole purity ring thing part of it is like separate. And I think the purity ring part of it is what Jordan Sparks kind of responds to later in the show. So later in the show, Jordan Sparks is presenting an award with John Legend, and off the cuff, before they begin their little bit. She just leans into the mic. She says, I just have one thing to say about promise rings. It's not bad to wear a promise ring because not everybody, guy or girl, wants to be a slut. And (laughs) the media was like, oh, Jordan Sparks claps back at Russell Brand and audience loves it. But like I watched back a clip of it and it's definitely more of like an awkward moment where people don't know what to make of it. So like. I'd say like 20% of the audience starts clapping. It's not like thunderous applause. Definitely. Well, because I think it's a very, uh, 
Yeah, like there's a lot of people who don't find themselves in either camp. It's it's it, it, it it's is the that, judgment of of anything other than that. Yeah, it's it's like a nuanced discussion that we've had in greater detail in the um, ensuing, ensuing decade. decade. Yes, exactly. <laughs> because, and I remember feeling this way when I heard she said this was that you don't need to come for other people to lift yourself up. Right. Mm -hmm. That it's completely valid that she has made this decision and the Jonas brothers have made this decision to, you know, save themselves. I think it's actually Mm -hmm. like, you know, it's a, well, I don't know if it's a good idea, but. You can admire the, the, the decision. I admire the aspiration. And Hey, like, and and the Jonas brothers famously came out later and said they did not. Jonas brothers did not. They did not uh, honor their, their ring. They honored it intent. until they didn't. <laughs> you know, Patricia Heaton, Kelsey Grammer in particular come to mind as people that have come forward talking about how difficult it is to be a conservative in Hollywood. That you feel that you are passed up for opportunities or you're not given credit or you're not respected because of your beliefs. Jordan Sparks is among the only people that I can think of that was aiming towards like a mainstream pop audience also holding these beliefs. And so I wonder, like, did that have something to do with a fall off in interest over her music? I mean, I think it's. Int- I think. I think. Here's the thing. I think it certainly doesn't help if your music is boring. Someone like Kelsey Grammer is interesting. If we're going to use as a as a as a as a as a what do you example? Yeah. Because, you know, he produced at the. He was produced. Obviously, he was on Frasier, but like produced girlfriends, right? Like the work was interesting. Like you know what I mean. Like the work is somewhat interesting. Like he himself is maybe less interest. Uh, well, not less interesting, but not that he gets a, not that he gets a pass uh, by any means, but it's like, okay. But you look at like, like you can have these, like con- these, these beliefs that are very like, I'm going to be this way and blah, blah, blah. Maybe they buck, buck the overall trend of the environment that you're in. But then the work, it shouldn't be bad or boring. It shouldn't suffer. Well, like, cause I think, you know, that's part of the thing. Like the work just isn't good. Um, I see your point. Yeah. But what if your personal beliefs are limiting your access to that stuff? Well, Which is, I know, think that's... what, I, I think it's, I think it's what, I mean, Kelsey Grammer, obviously very successful, still continues to work this day. I would say that largely Kelsey Grammer actually hides his politics. Yeah. It's something that's just kind of known about him that he's very conservative. Um, Patricia Heaton, less so. She's a little bit more outspoken about her political beliefs and i I mean i would did it hurt her did it hurt her i think that like like, after in 2015 she was working with bob two chains shaggy oh we're talking about jordan sparks jordan sparks okay (laughs) yeah no i'm just like you know it's not like it's not like she wasn't working with these people after well that's the thing but but this is the thing that i wonder about like at the time that all we were having all these revelations about her because i think that like in she is she herself has i don't think ever explicitly said anything yeah in in her truly ultra poised fashion i don't think that she's ever really acknowledged any of this stuff 
um, or specifically the anti-abortion stuff. I don't think that she's ever acknowledged it, but I think that when these things were coming out in 2007, 2008, and she's having kind of declining, she's getting a declining bump from American Idol simultaneously. And she was with a major recording label that was trying to figure out what to do with her. Right. Battlefield comes out. The VMAs happen. So suddenly there's a diminishing return, uh, a young artist who's outspoken about maybe not a belief that a lot of people are being outspoken about in the way that she's being outspoken about it. Or maybe they just don't hold the same belief. Exactly. No, 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 no. and that's the point. It's yeah. like at that point, what does your record label decide to do? Because she gets stuck in limbo. Like between that second album with Battlefield and then her follow-up album in 2015, she's in limbo for like five years. During which time she says that she is constantly working on music. She's constantly putting out singles, but she finds out every year that her record label RCA. So she gets shuffled into RCA when Jive shuts down. Like we've talked about that before. Like there's a consolidation that happens in 2011. Jordan Sparks becomes one of the victims of that. So she gets shuffled into RCA and year after year, she finds out that her label is opting not to release her album that year. And it becomes so contentious that that's when she opts to start working on her acting. And that's when she starts becoming involved in a lot of film projects. And it's not until 2015 that we get another album with her. And that's just because she negotiates, she negotiates to get out of her contract with RCA. And then, um, she is signed to a new label with, um, Salam Remy. Remy. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Who we've talked about a little bit before because he was also instrumental in a lot of Jasmine Sullivan's music. Mm -hmm. Um, so clearly, yes, there is a belief in her talent, in her vocal ability. She's getting the support of a lot of the artists that you're talking about. But I think when you look at the failure of this specific album and then the kind of blackout that she experiences for the next five years, I wonder if it had to do with all this, all this stuff surrounding her. Probably. To Jordan Sparks' credit, I don't think that she has ever characterized any of the goings-on with her career, her life, in a negative light. I mean, again, pure beauty queen. Well, I know. And I think that's why why I'm like, I don't, I guess, I guess just in terms of, I don't know that, I don't know that her career has stalled because of that. I mean, I think like it's part of the things, but I think like, I, I, I think we still don't know who she is and her music, even when she puts out stuff that is ostensibly who she is. Like we were just literally talking about like the, the, I listened to her album that came out in 2020 and you said it's being marketed. It's funny that it's being marketed as a Christmas album. I mean, there are three songs on it that, that have the word Christmas in it. And I wanted to listen to it because like the first song is Merry Christmas to your face. And I was like, what is, like, why would you name a song that, right? So you listen to the song and it's, it's like, I want to say Merry Christmas to your face. And part of me is thinking, okay, this is because it's 2020 and we can't see each other. Mm -hmm. But the way, but like my mind reels at like then (laughs) taking that sentiment and calling the song Merry Christmas to your face. (laughs) Yeah, like, I'm like out of this context, is, I'm like out of context, out it's of hard context. to decipher what it means. And I'm like, this is the kind of decision making that means you will not have a stellar pop music career. I'm sorry. That's not that is not sophisticated enough. <laughs> like 
<laughs> Merry, to do, to Merry do Christmas that. just to your face, not to the rest yeah, of you. To just your, your face. face. Why don't you say Merry Christmas to your face? But, I was like, is she saying that someone's like face is stank and like <laughs> they need to, you know, get the holiday spirit? I just truly did not understand. Yeah. And so it's it's like that sort of decision making where I'm like, hmm, maybe there are other things going on here. A failure to connect the dots and a failure to be savvy enough to like, yeah. or to have a particular savvy. I don't mean savvy enough, but you know, to have that particular savviness to capture a moment, communicate that moment, and communicate your artistry and bring it to the wider world. I agree. I agree. To go back to that idea that we don't know who she is, when she does end up releasing her third album in 2015 i was like oh like jordan spark is once she wants to be an r&b singer right which is like it's weird that well it's weird that it took me that long to like think of that as the case for someone like jordan sparks but part of me wonders you know because we've talked i mean i don't want to get too far into this but like i don't want to really get into it at all it's just like (laughs) we've talked because i mean now it's an hour and 45 minutes about jordan sparks who neither of us care about and clearly what I'm saying is how much of she wants to be an R&B singer is the industry saying she's a black girl. You have to sing R&B because we've talked about that with like almost every other young black artist, black female artist on this show, right? Where if you don't fit that mold, they don't know, literally don't know what to do with you. Mm -hmm. So I, you know, part of that is like, look, I get that part of that's the industry, but with her independent releases and some of the other things, they're just, you know, I, I, I don't, I think that you see less of, I just see less, uh, I want to say uniqueness in the charisma, uniqueness, nerve, and talent. Okay. Maybe uniqueness and nerve. She has the, she has some, she has talent. She does um, have talent. I think she has she nerve. Had, she has some, okay, she has nerve. Uh, but you're right. You, uh, all, I, all, I, all I see is when you, when you like look at like her recent mentions, like you do a Google search on her and it's like the stories are about like, the, all of the interviews are exclusive to People Magazine. Or Us magazine, and it's about like Jordan Sparks found her um, pregnancy terrifying and exciting. And I was looking for that word that you said she. Wait, coined. did she say terrifying she and? Ex- no, she says terrifying and exciting, but not together. Oh, so, the, the 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 quote that I found that it's on her YouTube channel. She actually talks about like her career, and then she coins the terrifying and exciting term. Oh, okay. So anyway. she she uses that she used that to describe her pregnancy. She used it to describe her appearance on Dancing with the Stars. Um, it's. I don't know a branded quote unquote term for her. Oh, <laughs> I mean not. You know, I've it seems to come up it, it, that couplet comes up in her interviews. So, um, you know, I don't know. There's a sort of. Uh, I mean, uh, these interviews were like right up until like 2020. So I, I she's keeping herself out there. She's more of like a person, like a like she's got a publicist. Clearly, she's got a cooking and, YouTube uh, channel. She's got a hubby. Well, she's she's apparently transitioning more into a lifestyle brand. So yeah. there you go. It's a battlefield. Clearly, uh, an hour over over an hour and a half later, we clearly don't care about Jordan Sparks. <laughs> Sorry, not, listeners, <laughs> not a bit. Um, I'll wrap it up by book ending my Jordan Sparks experience with this. Is like I was rewatching Jordan Sparks audition for American Idol, and I forgot that she auditioned. Tw- I think she auditioned twice in the same season she had gone to the auditions in one city not been selected and then went to los angeles to audition again 
And that's when you see her televised audition in front of the judges. Because I think you've talked about this before. That your first audition at American Idol is actually for like producers in like an producers. arena, right? Like a you're in yeah. a cattle call, like a literal yeah. cattle call. Yeah. Um, so when she makes it on to her televised audition, Simon Cowell is not really a big fan of hers. Uh-huh. And he says, you have a great voice, but you have this uncomfortable smile. And he, 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 he identifies this really early on. He's like, you have this uncomfortable smile and I don't know, like, I don't know what I'm getting from you. And like watching that back now, I was like, that is exactly right. He called it from the very beginning. And I, th- and I think that this gets into something that I see in her throughout her career, all of her interviews, all of her music videos, all of her live performances, is that you never get past that, like a, a certain smile that she sings with, mm-hmm. that to me is, is part of the wall that's holding her back. Mm. It, it just speaks towards, I think, the level of restraint the level of kind of mystery about her identity that we still struggle mm-hmm. with. Mm-hmm. And yeah, it, it severely detracts from her charisma factor. Mm-hmm. Um, so I just, I just thought it was interesting that like the very first time that I ever saw Jordan Sparks on American Idol, like what I think is actually the true answer was there all mm-hmm. along. Like Simon Cowell's first read on her, I think was absolutely correct. I agree. Anyway, if and you, with, the, anyway, yeah. uh, don't let it go to your head. G- get get it into your head. Listen to it. It's a good song. At least once. Yeah. I don't know if it's a good song <gasps> by Jordan Sparks. It's a great anyway, song. Not, it's a great. We're not going to get into it. No, it's a great song by <laughs> Fifi Dobson. Listen to the Fifi Dobson yes. version. Also, listen to the Jordan Sparks version. Um, listen to her music again. I think it it's better than we think it is. It's just that she's not as great as we'd hoped. (laughs) Well, we'd like to give a special thanks to Adam Elder for composing our theme music. Songs and videos featured in today's episode will be posted to our website, flopredeemer.com. Remember to rate, review, and subscribe to us on your podcast platform of choice and check us out on social at flopredeemer on Instagram and Twitter and at facebook.com slash (laughs) flopredeemer. Email us your thoughts and feelings about Jordan Sparks and or Fifi Dobson at flopperdemer at gmail.com. Yeah, do it. Do it. <laughs>